This is WexCast, the podcast of the Wexner Center for the Arts at The Ohio State University. I'm Melissa Starker, PR and Content Manager for the Wex. This fall, Columbus has been fortunate to have an extended visit from Andre M. Zachary, a multimedia artist and director of Renegade Performance Group, who's currently a visiting faculty member at Ohio State's Department of Dance. We at the WEX have been especially lucky to have hosted RPG's performance of Untamed Space in September and to have Andre working with us on podcasts with other visiting artists. For this WEX cast, Andre speaks with Jamil Olawale Kasoko, who's coming to the WEX December 6th through 8th with Seancers, his bold, radical performance work that explores how bodies of color are transformed by grief, violence, and hypersexualized stereotyping. Jamil and Andre touch on issues of time travel, representation, self-care, and developing a loose community of like-minded artists around the country. Hi, my name is Andre Zachary, and I am a choreographer, filmmaker, multimedia artist, and the director of Renegade Performance Group, uh, which is based in Brooklyn, New York. And right now, I'm a guest faculty and artist at uh, The Ohio State University Department of Dance and ACAD. And today I'm uh, really gratefully interviewing um, fellow artist and colleague and friend Jamil Olowale Kosoko, uh, who will be bringing the work Seancers to the Wexner Center for the Arts uh, this December 2018. In this uh, kind of sharing and exchange between us, um, one of the things that is kind of special for us to do is unpack just, you know, our own lives and how we move in spaces beyond, you know, the artistic space or beyond, the, you know, the creative space or even, you know, the, the scholarly space, but just in, you know, the mundane and in the, uh, just the real human connections, you know, for ourselves between others. Um, and I guess in starting that, I have been thinking about time and it kind of came in a way where I was able to come back home to the house of the amazing choreographer B.B. Miller, where, I, you know, I'm house-sitting. And, you know, I was able to come back home after work um, and kind of pick the tomatoes from her garden and then just kind of sit back, wash them off, and do some reading. And it was just like, wow, I've had time to just do that and just feel, you know, like life was okay. So... I kind of, with what we're talking about today, Jamil and I, I kind of want to start off this um, idea and then notions of, of what time is and how we're using it. So, hey, Jamil. Hey, hey. Yeah, I love that little story because I <laughs> I've not been able to go home to my garden and pick tomatoes. But one day, um, one day... But I, 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 too, have been thinking, you know, a lot about time and I think most specifically time travel and how uh, demanding it is on the body, on the mind, on the heart, the spirit, yeah, this notion of, of time traveling. And, and for me specifically, when I say that, I'm thinking so much of my life for the past few years really has been trying to master time travel. And when I say that, I mean organizing across various time zones, trying to be in community and in, in conversation with people from various cultures, 
trying to be in conversation with my own history and my own future and the possibility of that, trying to really mold and scope a life for myself. And I think so often in the process of of that sculpting of a life, we sort of lose ourselves in the moment or the consequence of the of the present moment is lost due to this constant push for an understanding of what you know the future may be or, or what a, a kind of a futurity might look like as it relates specifically to the creative process, right? You know, sort of at any given point, you know, <laughs> I know I've asked for myself, you know, I'm thinking about a project that's happening next, you know, summer of 19. And then <laughs> I get on the phone and I'm talking to someone thinking about a project in, in November and then organizing a festival in February um, while also trying to, yeah, just do a simple act of, you know, actually I saw B.B. Miller yesterday um, at Sam Miller's memorial. Mm. So, you know, this thing of trying to be present and and, sh- and show up and for colleagues and loved ones uh, in the moment and now and, and reconnect with, with, with people and, you know, just all of that. You know, so this, this thing of trying to time travel, yeah, it's, it's real. And I'm, I think I... I'm getting better, <laughs> but it's not something that you go to school for, <laughs> you know. Um, you don't really take a class and, you know, quantum time, alternate physics and things like that. So, yeah, that's, that's what I've been thinking about as it relates specifically to, to time and embodied time. Not even thinking about, like, jet lag and mm-hmm. just all that. It's just, it's confusing. You said something that really uh, stuck with me just now. I wrote it down, and you said being in conversation with one's own uh, history or lineage uh, or narrative. And why does that seem uh, pertinent or urgent now in our lifetime? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that it's always been important and will always be important. Uh, just if for no other reason that we don't fall into the same pitfalls that our parents and forefathers and ancestors had, you know, so as to not allow history to repeat itself in certain ways, you know. And so I think it's incredibly important for me and as it relates to not only my creative practice, but my life practice is to just be in constant conversation with those who have come before me and with my past, you know, like literally I'm in the process of unpacking my own biomyth, if you will, for a new work that I'm working on, but I'm also writing a memoir. And so that has me falling back into historical traumas as they relate to not only my own body and my own history, but societal things. And yeah, just thinking about, you know, the impact of, and I've been writing specifically about Rodney King as it relates to my own sort of history and body dealing with um, 
I guess, another kind of brutality in inner city Detroit, which is one that so often is about policing masculinity and and presentation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, early on as a young person, it was just, it was difficult, you know, picked on, teased, uh, bullied, all of that. So there's this, this work that sort of paralleling, you know, what it meant for me to be dealing with my own issues around, you know, just going to school and the trauma of having to engage with, mm. you know, the young people who were not feeling me, you know what I mean? For like a better way of putting it. And then also coming home, which was its own sort of, uh, you know, ordeal dysfunction. And then to see this thing happening on television, you know, being broadcast that would then segue into the riots and seeing those unpacked live. So it was just, you know, it just and and so I'm I'm I've been sort of being teleported it back, you know, and that's just one example that I've sort of been yeah, just sort of landing on as I write. And and so yeah, it's just it's in, it's intense. But you know, so, and and thinking about what's happening now in the world and, and how far we've come in a lot of ways in regards to presentation and how certain bodies achieve safety or what bodies do to have to move more safely in the world you know all of these things I'm, I'm thinking about and I can't help but be in conversation with especially as, a, as an artist and someone who's interested in ideas in the world of ideas and the humanities and, and pedagogy and teaching, you know, especially working with young people. Tomorrow I start a new semester at Princeton and my students, <laughs> you know, many were not born yet. <laughs> you know, when Rodney King and the LA riots and all this happened. So, so yeah, there's something really just interesting about that recognition of time and you know, who has access to certain moments in time, depending on where certain narratives begin and end or end. Yeah, it's all of that. I mean, for me, several thoughts came up, you know, within what you were saying that also resonate for me and I feel others, especially within our generation, that not trying to make it as a barrier, but is a demarcation point for our generation. You mentioned... I mean, uh, you know, Rodney King and then the subsequent L.A. riots that erupted in 92, you mentioned the fact that many of your students weren't born yet during that time. You mentioned, you know, how far we've come. I've also heard you mention, you know, this idea of time travel and then looking at those who paved the way, you know. And so for me, like knowing you and your work and I see the echoes of a Marlon Riggs, you know, um, and Essex Hemphill, as you're saying, all of those Literally, literally, you made the ultimate sacrifice in order for us and for, you know, for, for those like myself to re-examine my own positioning of masculinity, unlearn the various traumatic practices uh-huh. that were taught and say like, OK, wait a minute. This, this is this is inhumane on, on on several levels, and then, you know, to, as you're saying, to then see it televised through again, this destruction, this policing, this brutality against black bodies in this example of Rodney King. And then at a certain time as well with our generation, you and I are both educators as well now. And 
I don't think they realized at the same time, you know, Rodney King and then the L.A. riots, we were also living through the height of the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. You know, we were living through the height of the crack cocaine era. Mm-hmm. Literally, all, you know, a trifecta of genocides literally affecting our community. <laughs> you know, and so it, I'm kind of also reminded of this episode of the Donald Glover show Atlanta, mm-hmm. the FUBU episode. I don't know if you saw it. Oh yes, with the kid wearing the fake. Man, yes, and it's and and I remember having that very similar Fubu jersey, <laughs> the yellow, the yellow and blue Fubu jersey. You know? yeah. I think that that episode, yeah, really was almost a, a hallmark of our generation. Yes, and yeah. like the the bad lunches at school, you know, yeah. the trauma that so many young black women and girls went through on a daily oh. basis, and like. And then us having to navigate, are we cool and masculine enough in school? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I feel, and and something that um, I think we've also spoke about, this idea of multiplicity and how it relates to time. And in your work and, you know, in that work with Donald Glover and others, what I'm noticing, there's this very interesting way, even the way in which you kind of can dialogue with yourself, this idea of multiplicity. So, you know, and then in the, the multiple ways that you also archive and unpack your, your own narrative, you know, whether, like you just said, you're, you are writing, you have an in-depth and now logged performance practice, whether it's through object and not object in the sense of, you know, a commodity, but something of artifact with you know, mm-hmm. ancestral meaning. And then I literally see all of those ways in which you you are and several others of our generation are unpacking, whether it's, you know, you, um, Paloma McGregor, Nigel Woodson. Yeah, it's, just, it's, very, it's very interesting and inspiring, especially very much inspiring. Yeah, I'm actually, it's interesting, you know, you, you name, you know, Paloma, uh, and Nigel, as I I've invited them both at various points to to come and sort of speak or lecture at Princeton. But I was thinking really about how I might use the platform that I've been so graciously been given for the past couple of years at Princeton. You know, how could I sort of involve as many sort of family members, if you will, mm-hmm. inside of that uh, proposals. And the way my strategy was for that was to invite as many amazing artists as I possibly can, you know, to come and speak. You know, we have a, a beautiful meal, they give a lecture, they talk about their work, and just try to really offer and share share a moment of care and education essentially you know with each other because i'm like you know yeah we have these opportunities we might as well yeah just use them to pay it forward and, and support each other you know in this sort of you know i guess another kind of choreographic process the choreography of care maybe or just one of dialogue you know, continuing a conversation. Of course, we're all on our own grind and we're, you know, doing what we got to do to get the bills paid and, and to describe ourselves, as you say. But at every now and again, you know, there there is a moment that opens up. It's almost like the universe just sort of you know, creates a little sliver of, of opportunity where I'm able to be in close proximity to you or any any one of you 
know, the artists that you mentioned and really have a moment of connection. And I've become so much more aware of the impact and beauty and importance of just those little moments because they have become so far and in between. You know, I find the older I get, the harder it becomes to not only make new friends, but stay in contact with the ones that I, I have and or those that are, you know, in the, in the, in the family. And, and so that's work. You know, how do we find a way to, you know, in the time-space continuum to just really make sure that we continue to create space and opportunities of support for each other. And I think that's really where my interest in curatorial practice really come comes into play, is oftentimes I find that it's through curating that I'm able to organize experiences and fantasize, you know, what kind of space do I want to be in, essentially? And who do I want? Who and who else do I want to be in that space? Um, and and how can we go about really doing this together and in a way that will be life changing? You mentioned care, um, and then in, you really just opened up for us um, from what I heard. You're using this position as well to take care of people. And especially in the lives of artists uh, and, you know, hearkening back to that time period of, you know, the late 80s into the early 90s. Um, and then now the documented works, um, you know, we can look at right now, the even the project that, you know, Ishmael Houston Jones and um, yes. you know, Gutierrez are doing on John Byrne. And we look at how much suffering, especially mm. in that period, artists went through. And then by extension, you know, women of color and black men were going through during that where there were hardly any programs to support people, you know, under the influence, recovering with any um, addictions, of course, fervent chastisement for those with HIV and AIDS. And just as you're saying in this idea of like how far we've come and, and, and then, of course, many of those people were artists as well. And, you know, how many of them suffer? And now in a sense that you, you know, you you just explained like your curation, your partnerships with institutions. Uh-huh. You're really saying, no, these artists, myself included, really deserve to be treated well, to be taken uh-huh. care of. Of course, of course, we work hard. We work our asses off. Uh-huh. So now I'm trying to think of like, you know, how do we extend that into the lives of others to to our parents, you know, to our grandparents, to our mothers and fathers, to our uncles you know that feel like the only the only thing in life they deserve to do is work hard it's just like no you just you actually deserve care in your life you know that is such a oh my goodness i literally i was having a conversation with a friend of mine well let's be honest we were texting <laughs> dming back and forth but it's a form of communication you know it's a form of communication yeah and I, I texted them asking, you know, do you believe that pleasure is a privilege? And they replied saying, no, it's a birthright. Mm. And, you know, that really shook me as a idea because it's only recently 
you know, in the past maybe three to two, like two to three years, has the concept of living a life that can be pleasurable, <laughs> like, and that it's a right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and that make for me because that's what I think. You know, sh- sorry to cut you off, but that's what no. shook me to the core when I first encountered and really felt Luciana Asugal. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wait a minute. They are disrupting the notion that pleasure shouldn't be attained at all cost. Mm-hmm. You know, in a way that was so brave, so just passionate. But even within that ferociousness was care. And it was just like, my goodness. I'm like, how do I measure up to this? You know what yeah. I mean? So what you just described, you're yeah, yeah, really... Yes, man. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it's and it's unfortunate, also, but it's a very real concern, and I and I mm. especially think about that as people of color. You know, like how we feel as if we don't have a right to care and pleasure, and and that's that makes me feel. Well, it makes me feel <laughs> a lot of things. You know, it makes me fall deep into my feelings. Yeah. But yeah, so the, you know, this idea of how I could even go about communicating the way I live in the world and move and breathe through the world, because sure, it's a lot of work, but I've been ravenous in regards to my self-care regimen and my opportunities for enjoying my life. And that feels really important to me in a way that I don't know if I can... I mean, it's like, now that it's here, I don't know if I have how to ever let it go or give it up, you know? But I'm also very much aware that while it is a birthright, it is, it is a privilege because there are so many people in the world that don't have access to pleasure, you know, to the ideas of that, even as a real politic, you know, it feels very much first world uh, to be able to have pleasure be of such concern when there are so many other issues and concerns that populate the globe. Um, You know, it's, it's sort of like, how do I make room for pleasure when there's so much protest and activism that needs to happen but I, I think it, I think it is about finding balance mm-hmm. and opportunities to allow the two to really linger with each other in conversation you know ideas of of, of activism and you know doing the work as it relates to doing the work of self and the work to allow oneself to continue to stay, you know, woke and and present and activated and, you know, engaged. Yeah, you you mentioned, I I guess, you know, this kind of internal conflict and dialogue on this idea of, you know, a first world privilege. And, you know, for me, I'm beginning to use the terminology of kind of, I guess, the state that we exist in place, um, being a place definitely of commodity in the sense that, you know, so I'm calling us the, the commodified world <laughs> in a way. But, um, yeah, I don't like first world yeah. term. I'm, you know, so yeah, I, that's, I, that's, I that's, what, that's right. the term I've kind of, um, 
given the thing. Uh, so yeah. maybe I'll, maybe I should copyright it. I don't know. But <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the, the irony. But uh, yeah, I mean, in the commodified world where we exist, um, and then you know, I as well, you know, have an ancestry that links to um, you know to Haiti, and then you look at ancestry that then linked back to you know the deep south and my family in mississippi and uh it's interesting to hear those uh elders speak because they remember the land so well and they remember what you know the levee looked like this you know this this fruit tree or peach tree or pecan tree and how they used to pick and then you know in going to haiti and there's pleasure in 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 making coffee Mm-hmm. And, and drinking coffee with somebody certainly yeah. you know and it's and it's just like every now and then of course living abroad you know as I you know I gratefully have the opportunity to do so yeah just the happiness and pleasure in life was so not wound up in commodity yes um, yes yes and especially you know for people of color I didn't like you know linking it back to that FUBU episode, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, but that balance of how do we find mm-hmm. our sense of self and pleasure and, and place beyond, you know, the latest clothing option. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but as you just said, you know, maybe it is, it's just like, you know, I guess that's why the thing is like, oh man, you know, picking these tomatoes was, was very pleasurable. You know, you just said like making that good dinner for your artist cohorts, mm-hmm. you know, getting drunk off the wine, you know, mm-hmm. well, maybe that's the pleasure. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, the, the idea of it doesn't always have to equate to a price tag per se. There are the simple pleasures, but still just creating space for it, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the time for it. You know, the, 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 the entrance of beauty into one's life. I just had not been as deep a concern because I was so caught up in the simple act of surviving. You know, just trying to, like, be. You know, the, the idea of, of caring and, and creating opportunities of, to experience beauty and pleasure, just it wasn't even... It was just nowhere close to even being a concern for me. And now it's such an important part of how I even, not just how, how I think and move and breathe and, and exist in the world now. You know, there is no going back. I don't want to don't wanna go back. Um, and hopefully I won't have to, if only, you know, if in no other way than to go back to rehabilitate and rewrite, you know, the the history and find my power inside of it. You know, that's the practice that I'm that I'm doing. And it is actually a pleasurable practice to be able to have a skill set that allows me to synthesize and metabolize and have a platform to share the varying conditions and yeah just sort of intricacies of the human experience you know and you just said also going back to rewrite one's own history and for some people that could be a very radical idea and you know i i fully understand 
and, and feel what you're saying. Why is that important, you know, for people to feel that they have that power within them? And then how are we using our platform? You know, our, you know, how can we just maybe give, you know, those instructions, as you're saying, to rehabilitate, to say, no, you know, re- rewrite your history and reconstruct your narrative, you know? It is possible. It is possible, you know, it, and it's a part of, of, of therapy, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I've, I've learned it's in the world of therapeutics and psychology and psychosomatic uh, therapy specifically where I've been doing a lot of work and, and rewriting you know, my, my history, rewriting and rewiring as well to create new pathways so as to disengage the trauma from the present or to, so that they're not so intrinsically linked and rehabilitate. So, and in doing that work, I've been forced to look at myself, look at my family, you know, consider epigenetics, all of that inside of, you know, building this sort of bibliography for my own healing. Um, And this is a practice that I incorporate in my teachings. I have my students construct a living document, a living bibliography for their own healing and, and survival so that they can begin thinking about texts as more than just sort of words, you know, but as there, there are maps and strategies embedded in these texts. You know, I'm returning to uh, Zami, a new spelling of my name by Audre Lorde, and it's been really impactful as I go about thinking about my own work right now and, and writing my own memoir but the concept of building a bio mythography I'm really inspired by that and, and trying to map out the methodology for for that creation and so that's really where I'm, I'm landing right now at inside of this research phase with my students kind of in this laboratory where we are uh, and this is in this, you know, this will be next spring, but I'm building out the course syllabus now. And so I'm, it's been so exciting to kind of to ask myself these questions. How does one go about literally creating a methodology for, uh, for their own history, uh, for, for rebuilding, refining, recovering um, mm. from uh, traumatic history? Like, what is that bibliography? And, and can that bibliography be shared? Can it be taught? Uh, and I, my hypothesis is that, of course, it can. But the thing is, the way I go about constructing mine is completely different than how you construct yours. I think the essence of the tool, the me- again, the method, you know, um, is there. But the ways in which the methods are used have to be personalized. So, yeah, does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, it does. And, and that, was, that was a very, very wonderful synopsis of um, your, your pedagogy in relationship to your artistic practice and, you know, your personal background. 
thank you for that. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. that was fresh, man. That was real fresh. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it, I, I, I took. I was actually taking some notes on that. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my pleasure. I, I do my best, Andre. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, to, to wrap it up. Um, mm-hmm. I guess a question of from all that your eyes have seen and the various time zones, cultures, places, um, opportunities, you know, landscapes, foods that, you know, that, yeah, it is a privileged position, which you, myself, and others have gotten to experience. What does that let you know about what can be next? I mean, that's the beautiful part is that I can actually ask myself, you know, what do I want? <laughs> what do I like? How do I want to be in the world? What is the kind of life that I want to sculpt for myself? And it's a it's a question I've not had to ask. And uh, I mean, I think the I mean, I think I was a teenager. I was. Like 20 years ago or something, the last time I was able to really be in a point in my life where the future just held such possibility and to literally be asked by other people. I feel like I hadn't been asked. I went a very long time <laughs> feeling as if no one gave two shits about, you know, what I want or how I want or you know yeah. what 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 I yeah mm. maybe maybe some interest in my needs you know but certainly not my any concern about what I wanted and myself included to be completely honest because I was on autopilot you know I'm just like on the hustle grinding getting it done doing what I had to do to survive the system and then a kind of blossoming occurred the universe reorganized itself I feel as if I sort of landed and stepped into my own power and others sort of saw that happening or something and created more opportunity for a kind of platform to be created where I could exhibit you know my sense of power and and possession and spirit and possibility and so now, you know, inside of that, yeah, it's like I can literally ask myself, you know, what do I want? And I, I've started, you know, planning, which is why I'm able to be writing a book right now and, and to be taking my time with it and just savoring the pleasure of that. And yeah, you know, and, and, and planning exhibitions in the future. My work seems to be landing more inside of... Uh, visual culture and you know, the gallery museum circuit so mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting and new you know so it's it's interesting you know having to yeah you know, just negotiate so many different genres but in in that negotiation you see while they're certainly different there's a lot of similarities right. and there's also a need to teach inside of some of these genres how to adapt to the specificity that certain artists bring to the table. 
like as an example, I just closed a show in Frankfurt, Germany. We read Black Macho Unleash the Queen <laughs> was the name of it, mm-hmm. a group show. And um and yeah, so I was a part of that with some uh, also, you know, some amazing artists, uh Lyle Ashton Harris and um, Juliana Huxtable and just some really amazing people. Anyway, finished that show. But I, you know, I approach my visual work in a multitude of ways. It may take the shape of a sound score. Mm-hmm. It might take the shape of a visual portrait or a visual poem or whatever. But I find that, you know, my poetics continue to land in, in various contexts and all to say that you know the the future holds so much potential I just have to carve it out and I'm in that process of carving you know I'm doing a number of residencies this year and next year that literally you know give me space to carve out a future a potential Mm -hmm. you know and that's I feel so honored and, and blessed to to have that. So. I think we can close with that. Uh-huh. Um, I agree. All of this was really amazing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, much thanks for you and um, you know all that you're doing. Um, yeah, and um, can't wait to see you and you know the crew that comes in with say answers. Right, which is in December. Talk about time traveling. Hey. Hey. It'll, it'll, it'll be there. It'll happen. Hey, it'll be December. We, 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 are, we are already there. We already there. <laughs> you know, we already there. We already there. All right, Andre. Well, thank you so much for this time and, and space. And um, until soon. Peace, brother. All right, peace. Thanks for listening to WexCast. For more information about Seancers and all things Wex, go to wexarts.org.